It's time for Dodger baseball. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! There it goes! See ya! The sports department at WFUV and the history behind it are a story largely untold. That is, until now. The voices that have shaped the student-run station for the last seven decades dive into their time at Rose Hill. This is the Off the Air Podcast, the legacy of WFUV Sports. It's episode five of the Off the Air Podcast. Emmanuel Barbari joined by Jackson Heil and Jackson Really pumped up for this week's episode, talking to Nick Costos coming up, Fordham class of 2005, one of the younger FUV alums doing big things in the industry, and we're tapping into an entirely new discussion this week, and that's sports betting. Certainly are, Emmanuel. Great to be back as always, and yeah, sports gambling is one of the more interesting markets that we've seen right now because it's one that's rising rapidly yet isn't legal everywhere. So it's kind of a tough market to really digest of where the direction is it's going, especially when a global pandemic hits and there's really not a whole lot to bet on in the sports world. And obviously you mentioned Nick. I mean, Nick's one of the premier heads in the sports gambling industry when it comes to media and a guy with a lot of energy, as you can tell, and as we will see for sure on an exciting conversation that we're going to have with him. And I think it's a really interesting topic, especially in the current environment where sports have been deprived for so long, starting to creep their way back, and people are immediately flooding, and there's almost a starvation, Jackson, if you will, for this type of sports media and sports gambling. For sure. I know I'm one that was starving for it, too. I mean, you look at just what there is to bet on right now before baseball and basketball and hockey come back. I mean, it's really soccer overseas, golf. UFC and Korean baseball. I mean, and that's really it. I mean, it's a tough market to tap into at the moment. But like you said, so many people are starved for content that if you have someone like Nick, who's always been betting on Serie A, the Premier League, La Liga, it's it's a market that can certainly be advantageous at the moment because there's not many people who do bet on these type of sports at the moment. So um, it, it very excited to see what he has to say just on that type of betting in terms of how he's been able to evolve with this market and how he's been able to adjust to the times because when a global pandemic hits, I don't think anyone expected all sports to stop. And when your market is based on sports and based on betting on sports, it has to be a tough adjustment for sure. So excited to dive into it all with Nick, but before we do that, let's learn a little bit more about our fifth guest on the Off the Air podcast. This week on Off the Air, Nick Costos. A Fordham alum in 2005, Nick served as an MLB and NFL beat reporter, anchoring WFUV's award-winning 2004 NFL draft coverage, in addition to hosting one-on-one. Following his time at the station, Costos worked as a producer at Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio and as an anchor for CBS Sports, covering the NFL, fantasy football, soccer, the NBA, and UFC. Right now, Costos is a member of Radio.com's talent team, co-hosting You Better You Bet. Here's the Off the Air podcast with Nick Costos. 
What's going on, guys? Always great to be on with the great people of WFUV Sports. You know, some of the fondest times of my life spent at Fordham and WFUV. And I will add also sports manager of WFUV back in my senior year, all the way back in 2004 to 2005. Just had to throw that in there. Great to be on with you guys. There you go. So recently with the pandemic, a lot has changed in the industry and the radio industry at that. So how have you been adapting to the, to the new normal? Uh, you know, I, I work from home, really, so it hasn't been like a tremendous change for me as far as like logistics go. But I mean, look, obviously with no sports, you know, it obviously became became difficult. And, you know, like I, pretty much every facet of this industry, whether it's radio, whether it's television, digital, linear, everything's been hit by this. So we were off for a couple of weeks, like while we waited for sports to come back. So like it was kind of like it sucked because I am a huge sports fan and like I like to gamble on sports also. And like this is my job. But I mean, I grew up just, I mean, I've been a diehard sports fan my entire life. So I think the adjustment not only was just from a working perspective and obviously great to be back doing the show again, but also just from a life perspective, like aside from just how life changed because of the virus with social distancing and everything and like the quarantine, a major change for me was it's like, wow, I've got all this time now and I usually had spent this time, you know, watching sports and now... I've got all this free time here and like, okay, like it's kind of cool being like, okay, like I can read some books I wanted to read or I can watch movies I had never watched or catch up on TV shows or binge like Tiger King on Netflix, whatever's big there. But truth be told, like, I want to watch the NBA. I want to watch baseball. I wanted to watch March Madness. So major void in my life without sports. And now that we've got golf back and we've got soccer back and now that we're in July and later this month, we're going to have baseball, God willing, and basketball, the NBA. Um, it feels like we're starting to get a little bit of normalcy back. So it's, it's definitely made me a lot happier. Nick, you mentioned a lot of free time. And like you mentioned, so many of us big sports fans were struggling with what to exactly do during that time. What were some of the things that kept you busy during this weird quarantine that we went through for almost two months? Well, I moved and it be, I think if you were to like construct a list of like worst times to move, um, I think maybe like pandemic would be at top of the list during a global pandemic. So I moved during a global pandemic, which was fun. Like literally like I made like all the movers and me, like we were all like basically wearing hazmat suits when I moved. So I moved in with my girlfriend. So that's been an adjustment. Never lived with a girl before 37 years old, just turned 37 last month. Congrats. So just thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah, 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 whatever. Um, but yeah, 37 years old now living with someone for the first time with a girl for the first time has been interesting. So really trying to keep my relationship afloat. And now that sports are back, trying to keep my relationship afloat. Now that I'm watching sports on TV all day again, watching soccer and golf has been interesting. Um, I can give you like a real like vanity answer here. Like I've been working out more. You know, who cares about that kind of stuff, though? I guess really the big thing has really been just like, has been the move for me, living in a new place, living with my girlfriend now, and kind of all the uh, the difficulties and challenges kind of that come with something like that. And been reading more and watching, like catching up on movies. And I've always, I don't know if we can curse on this, movies and stuff that I've always wanted to see. So yeah, that's really been it. So you talked about the void of sports over the last couple of months, and there seems to be some renewed skepticism with with the return of baseball and some of the leagues because of some players opting out, not being sure about the health aspect. Are you a little skeptical that there could be some major obstacles once sports returns? Well, I think anyone that's like not skeptical about that would be lying. Like you have to be skeptical about it. Like even the most optimistic person, and I would consider myself to be a pretty optimistic person. I think there has to be some skepticism, but like I can't feed into that for many different reasons. And like, I'm not looking to politicize this and I'm not going to do that here, but just from like, from my perspective here, like I personally, not just for like my income and for my job, 
I need sports. Like I love sports. Like I have to have it. And, I, and I'm operating under the assumption here. And some people will kind of criticize Adam Silver in the NBA or baseball or football. Like, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, how could you, how could you try and play sports? Um, how about because like the country loves it? Like, how about that for a reason? How about selfishly for me? Because I would like to continue to get my, my, my nice paycheck every month. Like, how about that? Like, those are all reasons why I need to be optimistic about there being sports. And I think kind of the line being struck last week by two different commissioners made me feel good. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, and then on Friday, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, both repeated a very similar mantra, which I think we'll hear Roger Goodell say, and Rob Manfred might be too stupid enough to come out, come out with this on his own, but we're going to have to learn to live with this virus. Like, I love that, like, people are surprised by, like, oh, my God, like, two players in the Pelicans organization tested positive. It's like, no shit. Of course, people are going to test positive. Like, this is how it's going to go. And everyone knows that. So I'm not letting positive tests right now, like, make me negative about sports coming back. I have to think that, like, there are going to be contingency plans for all this stuff. So I'm optimistic that we're going to get team sports. I'm optimistic the NBA will finish. I'm optimistic that we'll get an NFL season. I feel less good about college sports, but I think we'll get the NBA. I think we'll get baseball. I think we'll get the NFL. Nick, let's talk about your career a little bit. You are obviously in the sports gambling industry when it comes to media. Was that something that was always a, on your mind? Was that always the path you wanted to take? Or is that something that kind of developed maybe after college as you got into the real world in this industry? So it's a great question, Jackson. And like, um, I started gambling on sports my senior year. So 2004 to 2005. And I remember like, I lost like my like first like 11 bets, like literally, like I could not like win a bet to save my life, but like I kind of like really loved it. And it was kind of like, and I think that this is kind of the appeal for a lot of sports bettors is we're sports fans first and foremost. Now you have like a lot of like financial investors, right? Like math people that gamble on sports the way like you gamble on the stock market who just basically look at a spreadsheet. They may not even watch the games. They're looking for a mathematical edge. But I think that kind of the appeal of sports betting is we're all kind of experts to a degree, like we all watch sports. We've all been watching sports our entire lives. So it's an opportunity for us to say, well, I know what I'm talking about here. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So it kind of held that appeal for me when I first started. And quite frankly, like that's still kind of part of part of the fun of this. So um, when I was at Fordham, you know, I, I hosted one-on-one. -on -one. That was always kind of my bag. I was really bad at play-by-play, -play, you know, just as a quick aside. Um, September 11th, 2004, I remember because it was 9-11. I did play-by-play -play for Fordham against Albany in Albany. And I remember I called Bob Aaron's, the legendary Bob Aaron's afterwards. And I was like, Bob, um, I'm not going to ask you how I did. I'm just going to ask that you don't give me any more play-by-play -play assignments because I'm terrible. Um, and I wanted Greg Giambarisi, who was a year younger than me, to start doing more play-by-play -play than me. So that was my great leadership that I showed. I was like, I shouldn't do this anymore because I suck. But I was always, I always really loved hosting when I was at school. And then when I graduated, um, I got opportunities to go do on-air stuff in smaller markets, Buffalo, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I wanted to, wanted to stay local. My family and friends are here. I was dating a girl at the time, so I didn't really want to move. So I started working at Sirius, um, then just Sirius Satellite Radio before they, they merged with XM. And I started doing off-air stuff, and I really liked that. So I started getting into producing, um, producing on the NFL channel. And because of all the people that I knew in the NFL world, um, I got a couple opportunities to do some writing. Bleacher Report kind of picked me up. Like one of the guys there, Aaron Nagler, who people may be familiar with is like a Packers-themed um, reporter now, an analyst now, was the national writer for Bleacher Report at the time. Saw one of my articles, literally said, do you mind if I give it to my editor? I was like, great. Um, the next day, I got offered a job by them, started writing about the NFL. 
And this was maybe 2012. And at the time, like even now, I would say big networks are only like kind of like maybe like knee deep in the sports gambling space, like still aren't even like waist deep, I would say. And then it was maybe like toenail deep at that point. So I actually, and I don't mean this to denigrate Bleacher Report because I feel like basically everyone kind of felt that this way at the time. I kind of had to convince them to let me write like an NFL picks column because I, I was gambling every single weekend. And I'm like, I think people will like this. Like all my friends gamble on sports. Why wouldn't this do well? So they let me do it. And I started to gain notoriety um, doing that. And like, I kind of noticed my following was growing in the sports gambling space. I would bet on games and kind of live sweat them and live tweet them. And I'm kind of an emotional guy. I'm an emo roller coaster. So people kind of dug that. And it was just kind of like a niche that I kind of found and kind of dove headfirst into because like the NFL is my love. Everyone loves the NFL though. Everyone has an opinion on the NFL. So I found sports gambling to be somewhere where I could kind of be, and this was never really my goal, but I think I've kind of become it. And I don't mean this arrogantly. I think that a lot of people will say this kind of like an authority in the space where like, I don't think that would necessarily be the case if I had tried to be a straight NFL host. So there was a lot of opportunity at the time. And now that the space is exploding and I'm established in it already, I feel pretty good about the direction that, uh, that it's taken me in. To dive deeper into the Fordham and WFUV aspect of things, how much did it teach you in terms of adaptability and trying to find a niche maybe to stand out that you've carried into this new path of, uh, of sports gambling? I mean, infinite. Um, when people ask me what I majored in college and I say accounting, which I did, I have an accounting degree from the Fordham College of Business Administration, shout out to the Fordham CBA. Um, people are always stunned. They're like accounting degree, but like you do, you're in the media. And I'm like, yeah, well, I didn't need uh, you know, a, a journalism degree, a communications degree, because I worked at WFUV. Like I got real experience. Um, I know I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know, but what an experience in college, like getting to cover the Giants and the Yankees and the Knicks and the Rangers and interviewing professional athletes and we won my senior year New York State Broadcasting Award for the show that I hosted from the 2004 NFL Draft when the Giants traded for Eli Manning. Like, we beat major sports radio stations as I hosted that show as a senior in college. And Emmanuel, I know, you know, one of your mentors, Pat Reichart, who was my college roommate, we went to high school together and then went to Fordham together. Um, he was the pre-produced that show. And like, for the two of us to do that was really cool. So I would say infinite, like there's no words kind of for what the experience meant to me. And I think something that it taught me that I was able to take in through my career at Sirius and really helped me stand out, it really forced you to be good at everything. So like you start out and you're learning how to cut tape and then you do updates and you you run the board and you produce and you host. So when I walked out of college, like I walked out with a skill set that like almost no one has walking out of college. So I like, I can't overstate how critical and how unbelievable that experience was at WFUV preparing me for a career in the media. And I'm not just saying that like it, it legitimately did. You mentioned the great Bob Ahrens before in alluding to him never putting you on a play-by-play assignment again. Um, how has he influenced your career and how has he influenced the path that you've taken after graduating from Ford? Uh, infinite, like infinite influence. Um, I think probably everyone that you'll talk to that's in my age range that worked with Bob will all say the same thing. Um, he's one of the funniest people of all time, maybe unintentionally a lot of the time, whenever um, we all get together, like everyone in my age group, and like we all maybe throw back a couple beers, 
the Bob impersonations start flowing, but they're out of love. Like it's always laughing with him, never laughing at him. He was just an unbelievable guy, absolutely hilarious, an unbelievable mind for the business. And really, I think the number one thing that he kind of taught me, I, and I'm try, I'm, I'm going to try and get the line right, but it was, you're never as good as, maybe if you guys have heard it, but you're never as good as you think you are, but you're never as bad as you think I think you are. So basically the goal, and I, I think I said it correctly there. And I think the big lesson to take from that is to always try and be even keeled. I mean, I could go on for an hour about Bob, what he meant to me, not just kind of in my, my career pursuit, but just like as a man and as like at the time, as a college student, um, in, in infinite impact. And, you know, is, he's just the best man. And I think that trying to keep an even keel, remember that you're never as, that's it. You're never as good as you think you are. And you're never as bad as you think I think you are. <laughs> keep an even keel always, I think is one of the great lessons he taught me. So Nick, some of the things we've been doing with other guests is asking them about some of the key characters they were with in college. You mentioned someone like Pat Reichart. Who were some of those other people that created that camaraderie that allowed everyone to thrive at FUV? Oh, I mean, like we could kind of run down the list. Um, Tom Winters, the guy that stands out, is like an investigative reporter for NBC News now. Tom was great at Fordham. Um, there are going to be names that kind of that, that maybe not be in the media now, like that don't may necessarily do it anymore. But like Frank Mentasana is one of the funniest people of all time. He did play by play when we were at college together. Joe Bono is a year older than me. He was the sports manager when I was the assistant sports manager. I succeeded him. He was great. Um, two guys that are that are doing well in the media now. One guy I did an interview with last week um, on a CBS Sports Radio show. I was a guest on it. Andrew Bogish is a great friend of mine. Um, I was in Bogish's wedding. Mike Yam, the face of the Pac-12 Network is a great friend of mine. I mean, we can kind of run down the list here. I mean, there are so many, like so many great dudes that I went to school with, whether they were younger than me, my age, a little older than me, that the camaraderie at FUV was, was unlike anything else. And honestly, I think like the unifying factor was kind of, was kind of like Bob, like even in like, even if there were people that you didn't necessarily like, let's say that you were with at FUV. And I feel like I pretty much liked everyone, but let's just say there were people you didn't like you could all kind of unify and kind of your thoughts on the unbelievable character that was Bob Aaron. So, I mean, those, those are just some of the names that, that, that really stand out. It's just great dudes that I still keep in touch with today. And I'm sure, and I know for a fact, I've forgotten some of them, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of old now. So it kind of memories fade over time and I've killed a lot of brain cells, but just great people at Fordham. Nick, let's talk about gambling as a whole. I, I think every sports gambler can relate that they always remember some of their worst beats as a sports gambler. For me personally, it's Baylor minus six and a half this year. Any what, Against Kansas State? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had Kansas State in that game. That was a very lucky <laughs> win. I knew exactly what you were talking about immediately. Yeah, yeah that, was, um, that was this calendar year, yeah. It was. Um, any historically bad beats that stand out for you that you remember um, that hit personally for you? Oh, there are two. Um, the were okay. So Duke and Utah played in the NCAA tournament in the second round. I think it was 2015. I think this was the year that Duke beat Wisconsin in the national title game. And I lost a lot of money on that because I had Wisconsin winning the whole thing and I would have won like a major office pool. So that I don't, that was more like, okay, like that was more like bracket related. Mm -hmm. So Duke was, I want to say minus five and a half against Utah in this game. It was like a late, like Friday night game. It was like a late game on Friday night. I bet Utah plus five and a half. So the game ends, like the clock's at zero. Mike Krzyzewski, Larry Kostowiak walk out to midcourt, shake hands. The players literally walk into the tunnel. I win. I have Utah plus five and a half. They lose by five. I win. 
the referees start huddling and like they're about to go to commercial break and they're like, oh, well, something's happening here. They ruled like, I don't even remember what it was, like a foul or like they stepped out of bounds or something. They awarded Duke free throws after the, like the game ended. Like they put the final score up. The players started walking off the court. And I think it was Trey Jones or Tyus Jones, whichever was the older Jones brother at Duke. And I think the, Tyus, the younger yeah. brother was playing this past year. So whoever the older brother was who was drafted by the Timberwolves comes back onto the court to shoot two free throws, misses the first, so I'm still winning, makes the second, game over, Duke wins by six, I lose by a half point. I think if you Google this, Duke-Utah NCAA tournament point swing, like people lost a lot of money on that game. And I remember just like raging and being absolutely furious when that happened. So that was number one. The second one would be, this one requires less explanation because everyone will remember it. I had the Atlanta Falcons and the under for big money Super Bowl 51 against the Patriots. Not only could the Falcons not cover the spread, but by allowing the Patriots to score a touchdown in overtime, as opposed to holding them to a field goal, the game also went over the total. Um, And I lost a lot of money on that. And that's probably the worst one. Falcons in the under in Super Bowl 51, obviously up 28 to three, and they end up losing 34-28. You can't make this stuff up. Nick, you mentioned the line between sports and maybe delving a little bit into the political side of things. And for instance, I saw you tweeted one time placing a bet on President Trump and the replies like flood in in this environment on Twitter. It can get very divisive. What's your mindset on that? And how do you think people should kind of toe that line? Um, I, well, I feel like the betting market stuff, I always kind of preface my tweets with this is not meant to be political. It's like an analysis of the betting market and like people will still get angry because look, I mean, this is like Twitter's a cesspool and people are looking to get angry about everything. So I feel like you can't really avoid it. And I feel like I generally feel like I do a pretty good job of like trying to stay out of the fray. I just don't think there's any upside to kind of getting involved in like this on social media. What I would like or tell you guys is like, Stay out of it to the, as much as you can because, like, again, very little upside because people you're going to get attacked no matter what you say by different groups of people. Now, in the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like it was kind of tough because, and I feel like a lot of people probably experienced the same thing as me, where it was kind of like this existential dread that I had where now it feels like, okay, like, and for a while it's been like, okay, like, this is a crappy period now, but we'll be out of it at some point soon here. It's definitely not the end of the world. Like, I'm still living a pretty happy life at the moment. But then it was like, wow, like, where's this going? How bad is this going to be? So I felt like then it was really hard to kind of, for me at least, to kind of stay out of it. And my tweets were never like politically tinged, but I was tweeting a lot of the time about coronavirus. And I was trying to, and I remember I got a tweet from this one guy who was a long-term Twitter follower of mine. And he was like, I have to unfollow you because like, you're so optimistic, but like people are dying. And it kind of hit me there. And like, that was never my intention was to like, be like, Hey, people are dying, but sports are going to be back. Like, and then it kind of hit me like, it's probably better off if I just like keep my opinions on this kind of to myself and kind of in the realm of my show now, you know, we talked about this when we relaunched a couple of weeks ago, my producer and I, you know, when we were in the thick of, you know, all, all, you know, the, 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 pro, the, you know, the protests in, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. And it's like, do we want to address this stuff? Like, do we want to spend time talking about this on the show? And for me, it's, if it comes up, we kind of will give our thoughts on it. But I feel like we kind of work, and this is a Bobism as well, what we do in the sports media, we kind of work in like the toy department of life, right? Where people come to us and sports are escape. 
from real life. Like you have a day at work, you get to go home and you know, put your feet up on the recliner, crack open a beer and watch your favorite baseball team, your favorite basketball team. Like it is just, I just got a text, by the way, I feel like my under bet's going to lose in this Everton Leicester game that I'm not watching. Someone's pissed that they took the bet for me. Anyway, um, sports are an escape. So I try and treat it like that's what it is. And we're just trying to talk sports. We're trying to provide people a respite from regular life. So I try and stay out. Obviously I have an opinion. I have opinions on everything like everybody else does. I just feel like in the position that I'm in, like, A, who cares what I have to say about it? And B, there's just, it is a no-win situation to kind of broadcast your thoughts on social media because there's always going to be someone that's going to be pissed off at you, no matter what you say. Nick, you mentioned you just mentioned betting on Everton Leicester. I mean, so much of the sports betting now has come down to betting on the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, UFC, the Korean baseball organization. How has betting evolved for you with really no major sports back in session and adding golf to that equation too. How has the betting evolved for you and how has this industry evolved for you over the past few months? Um, I don't know that it's that the like industry has evolved or like my approach has evolved, but really I think the number one answer would honestly be like, I'm betting on golf now. And I'm like a, you know, you've like Emmanuel, like if you talk to Pat, like this will sound like an arrogant comment. It's not meant to be like, I kind of like an encyclopedic deal with sports. I've been, watching all of it my entire life, really with the exception of golf. Like golf, like I parachute in for like the Sunday of a major tournament or I'll watch the Masters, but I had never really been into golf. Like te- even tennis, like I would, would, would watch obsessively, you know, growing up. But golf, I was never really into. So I'm finding that now I'm really enjoying it, A, and B, like betting on it's really fun. It's like a four-day event, so it's like four days of betting. It's, it's, it's really great, and there's all these different derivative markets and stuff. So I think the number one change for me, because I've always bet on soccer, and like I bet Korean baseball like the first night, and I remember staying up to watch it, and it was like two in the morning on the East Coast, and I'm watching this Korean baseball game, and like they interviewed Eric Thames, like who used to play in Korea for like an hour during one of these like marathon half innings, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like I got to find something better to do than gamble on Korean baseball. So that was it for me with the Korean baseball. So I guess the number one thing has been, I kind of discovered like a new love for golf. And even when all the other sports come back, I think I'll still keep watching golf on a weekly basis and betting on it. Nick, you said how back in 2012, which doesn't even seem that long ago, sports networks were only kind of dipping their feet into sports betting. And and there's variance across the board as to which organizations go deeper into it, which ones don't. 10 years from now, where do you see sports betting in relation to sports media? Um, I think it's going to be continue to grow here. And I actually, you know, I was very worried um, when the pandemic started and, you know, still have some of those worries as well about how things are going to come back. Like I said, I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, but when this first happened, I'm like, well, like this could be like, a major, like, not a death blow, but this could be a real, like, hit to our industry, potentially, but as kind of things have progressed, I actually think, and this may sound like a crazy statement, but I genuinely believe it's true, I think that the 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 space, the sports betting space, is going to come out of the pandemic stronger than it did going into the pandemic, and the reason is really simple. States are going to need money. States are going to need revenue. States have lost a lot of money. You know what an easy way to do that is? legalized sports betting and legalized pot. Like those are two things that I think you're going to see a lot of states do because they got to get the money flowing in. And like, I think that as sports betting continues to be accepted and continues to, you know, companies continue to kind of wade more into the sports betting waters. I see no reason why the space isn't going to continue to blow up. So like, I feel very good about the, uh, the direction of the space right now. I think it's going to continue to grow. 
Nick, just before we wrap things up, um, you mentioned obviously a lot of states needing that revenue. And one of the big questions I think going forward is when is online sports gambling going to be legalized? Because obviously a lot of states have legalized betting in casinos and stuff and betting on in-person sports books. But the future of online sports betting, where do you think that's heading? And do you think it's a similar direction as you mentioned for regular sports betting? Eventually, I think it will be. I think that a lot of people and a lot of like people in charge of this are dumb and don't kind of understand it. That like, you know, what would really make this easy for people? If you could bet on your phone on a sporting event. And here's my honest answer. Like when PAPSA was repealed and it's like sports betting is now legal. I'm like sitting there thinking like, well, what have I been doing for the last decade plus? Like, I've been, I've been gambling this whole time. So it's like, it didn't even make, like, none of this really makes a difference in my life. Cause I've already been gambling anyway, but I, I think that they'll get their ducks in a row. And I think that the, uh, like, like you just said, online mobile, if, if they're smart and that may not be the case as we've seen recently, um, I think we'll see the proliferation of that just continue to grow. Nick, one more for you. If you rewind to the middle of your FUV career, you're going on a bunch of road trips, have a bunch of road shows for one-on-one. What stands out at the top is like, hey, that that was the that was the real heyday of college. Um, wow, I mean, there's like, there's really a lot of them, honestly. Um, I think the best one was probably when we went to. It was Pat, myself, Pat Reichart, myself, Frank Mentasana. There may have been one other person, like a, like a kid that we went to school with, who I'm forgetting, which is pretty bad. And Bob, and we drove to the New York State Broadcasting Awards. I don't even remember where it was, but it was a long drive. And Dan Rather presented us with, with the award, which was, which was really cool. I have the picture somewhere of all of us with Dan Rather, which was great. And I remember that whole experience kind of being surreal because Bob kind of gave us like a really cool talk while we were driving there. Like, it's like, wow, you know, like you guys accomplished something really cool here. And that was our senior year. And it was kind of like a reflection on like everything we had done for me, at least like in my college career. And it had culminated in this moment. And I'm a huge Giants fan growing up. And we won this award and we beat all these stations and it was Eli Manning getting like, and I wanted the giants to draft Eli. So like, it was really cool. And then we pulled into a McDonald's and Bob was trying to order. I don't even remember what it was. It doesn't matter. But Bob was trying to make an order at McDonald's and like the guy didn't like understand him or like there was a problem with like the, the like the calm thing or whatever. And Bob was just screaming at like this inanimate object, his order like over and over again, like, and I'm not going to do the Bob and I'm not going to yell, but he was like screaming number five, a number five, a number five over and over again until again, like this inanimate object, which is not answering him back. And Frank, Pat and I are like pissing ourselves laughing um, in the back seat and in the front seat of the car. So I think that one really stands out going to accept the New York state broadcasting award and Bob flipping the out on a, uh, on a McDonald's drive through excuse my language. That's an amazing way to leave it off. Nick, we appreciate you taking all the time today. Great insight, and uh, we'll talk soon. Great, guys. You guys continue to kill it, and uh, to all the kids at WFUV, keep crushing it, and uh, really appreciate you guys having me. Amazing time talking to Nick and Jackson. You can tell how he's gotten where he's been in this industry. He has an amazing personality, and he's able to captivate whoever he's talking to, and that's translated into everything he's doing in sports gambling. Emmanuel, you could tell me if Nick knew nothing and I would still be interested because of his amazing energy and personality, like you mentioned. And he certainly does know what he's talking about, too. I don't want to make it seem like he doesn't because he certainly does. But man, that energy is infectious. I mean, it really rubs off on you. It just makes me smile. I know we were saying that off there. It just makes you smile when you watch him talk because he just has so much energy. And I said it before, it kind of reminds me of a young Bob when it comes to that. I mean, 
high voice, lots of energy, and definitely a premier man when it comes to this market. And happy you mentioned Bob because that unifying factor existed when he was in college at Fordham and WFUV, and that was Bob Aaron's. And you can only crack up when you hear that drive through <laughs> McDonald's story where order five needs to be emphasized. He certainly does. I mean, listen, any Bob story is a good story. Well, let's be honest here. You can't get a bad Bob story. And I don't think we've gotten a bad one in what the five episodes we've done so far of this podcast. And I mean, man, it just seems like everyone continues to get better. And thanks again to Nick so much for coming on to the show. I mean, it was really great to catch up with him and just tap into a new market. Like you said, I mean, we don't really get to talk about sports gambling too much. It's something I love talking about personally. And I think it's a market that's only going to continue to grow in the future. So to hear from someone who is kind of in the trenches of that sports gambling industry was really cool. Definitely great to catch up with Nick. We thank him for coming on. If you want to stay in line with the Off the Air podcast, wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, and more, WFUVsports.org. For Jackson Heil, Emmanuel Bavari will catch you next week on the Off the Air podcast.